0: If you're anything like me, you probably sometimes want to know where my shirt is. Maybe that information was mentioned in a podcast somewhere, but how are you going to find it? Are you going to personally watch all the episodes of The Integral Stage and all the adjacent meta-community podcasts hoping to stumble on the information? Don't be stupid, stupid. That's too long of time. How would you even know you're checking the right podcasts? Instead, go to the Apple App Store on the internets and get Fathom.fm. Fathom.fm is a meta-podcast platform that not only figures out which podcasts you should be listening to, but which parts of those podcasts contain the answers to the questions you're interested in. Fathom.fm is making podcasts searchable, instantly chapterizable, and transcribable, and training up teams of suspiciously intelligent AIs to do the work for us. The digital universe is becoming curated by conversations and interfaced with through automated dialogue processes. So, if you want to put yourself in the best position for digital synchronicity and distributed sense-making this year, you may have to submit to our robot masters. Ask your doctor if cyborg interfacing is right for you. Fathom.fm. I do it. Ladies and non-ladies and most quasi-ladies and some pseudo-ladies and probably a couple of gentlemen will have to check on that and maybe a few other metacognitive stragglers out there in the straggleverse. Welcome back to a luminiferous integral stage series called Love the System, where we probe the protocols, procedures, processes, principles, and possibilities for producing more complex and integrated approaches to social, technological, and behavioral systems, including governance amen today our guest is the sly earnest and always affable ari allen who's been the driving force behind something called the reconstitution project sounds cool but what is it let's find out hi ari
1: how you doing layman i just have to applaud you on that introduction i don't know how you do it if you've memorized that if it's written down if it's improv but whatever it is thumbs up all around
0: does it sound true do you feel like you're always affable (laughs)
1: oh i wasn't even talking about myself i was just talking about the the ladies and pseudo ladies and that whole part is just is just brilliant and and um flowy so congrats on that
0: thank you sir thank you
1: um
0: what what is the reconstitution project and what was the initial inspiration why do something as preposterous as this
1: great question um so i think firstly as a background on me although i grew up as a more computer science-y kid. I um, ended up somewhere in somehow in the liberal arts and specifically in the political science realm uh, in college and then went to law school uh, specifically in D.C. at Georgetown Law uh, where I thought I was going to get into the policy area of the world thinking I will make a big impact. And I went there during the wonderful year that Obama was elected and everyone was all hopey and changey and everything's going to finally be right in the world. And I got there and realized, OMG, does not matter who the president is, does not matter what degree I get or what I study, this place is a swamp in the words of some people who have ascended to power in DC. Uh, That is one statement that is true. And yeah, no matter who it is, the system is, is large and and pretty inflexible as far as making serious change. So um, after several years of actually working in lobbying, I went into the belly of the beast during Wall Street reform, working for those companies and representing those companies, which was not my ideal. I quickly ran away. I ran away to the West Coast where I went to the California uh, California Institute of Integral Studies because I had for my sanity i've been reading a lot about integral theory while i was in law school because that was the way i was still staying somewhat grounded in both a spiritual practice a creative practice and the idea that maybe there is some possibility of evolution of consciousness in general but also applied in the area of politics government uh economics society etc um and so retreated to integral institute Did some studying there, ended up, found my way back into computers technology, where I work um, in education technology, because that's where I thought I could make the biggest impact. Um, Again, I'm a very impact-driven person, want to, along with everyone else in the integral and metamodern community, escalate not escalate, elevate people's consciousness, um, and try to, uh, start pushing us towards the paradigm shift as a society in the ways we think about things and, and trying to get past all these old structures that are sort of antiquated and, and, uh, not as not constructive towards sort of the aims and, and of what we as people would hope to see in the world. So all of that leads up to, of course, I'm working, doing my job and then, uh, 2020 hits, COVID hits, people are in the streets, you know, rioting and uh, as a result of the George, George Floyd murder um, and all of the, and you know, Donald Trump, the, re- the election and all of this stuff. I mean, we all remember 2020. It was this pivotal year. And to me, it felt like an inflection point, which I think all of us still feel to an extent that something shifted there. Although we are now in this temporary pause, take a deep breath of, relief, but who knows where we're going from here. Um, And in the midst of that, I had sort of reflected on one of the things that I found, I think, most frustrating about my studies of both integral uh, theory and of my time in politics, which is that the two felt very disconnected to me. Um, I know that there are plenty of people thinking about integral politics, but most of the the books and essays I had read on integral politics uh, were still very much more integral than they were politics. Um, Very theoretical, very abstract. And to the outside observer who has no idea what integral theory is, would probably not understand much of what is being said nor would find a way to apply it to something that they were working on. And I know there are people who have started to, you know, I know Steve McIntosh and others have worked on um, finding better applications of these things, but I wanted to ask the fundamental sort of philosophical question um, and do a thought experiment because everyone I saw in the inter-community were really deep and bright thinkers and yet still stuck in the like, well, what stage is this and what quadrant is that? And I wanted to just take the minds of those people who are now integrally informed, have an integral form of consciousness, and see what happens if you put them in a room together and say, forget the way the system is, P- pretend you have no constraints. And by no constraints, I mean, we're still coming out of a system that exists, but imagine a world where the only constraint you have. Is you are in a room for a new constitutional convention. So you have the old constitution to work with, but it frees open that boundaries of the boundaries of saying, well, I can't enact that law because it's unconstitutional or it violates this and that. It sort of opens up the possibilities of what you can explore as solutions to problems, as reinventing government because of the fact that the constitution is the only thing. Those that is the frame in which all of the laws of society happen. So if we put ourselves in that thought experiment it is the second constitutional convention we can amend the constitution however we want how would we reframe the this meta structure to allow for new policies new structures new forms of government and economics to emerge that align with and cohere to an integral form of consciousness and so as a result, I recruited folks, and I think, Layman, you were the very first person I reached out to because I saw you commenting in all these threads, and I was like, this guy has something to say, things roll off the tongue just like they did in your intro, where should I start? And you encouraged me to reach out to some other folks, and I did, and I reached out to um, Ryan Nakade, Brad Kirshner, um, and eventually that led to some more people, Nate Kaufman, Rachel Kuhn-Mincy, and... Um, We started to work on this project together, this thought experiment, and and started to just really be both creative and analytical at the same time, but within this frame of integral, applied integral theory, which I had not yet seen in the community to that extent.
0: So it has value as a thought experiment, but also it's possible to do a constitutional assembly. Is that right in your
1: country down there? It is, um, like I said, a theoretical second constitutional convention, which means that there has only been one and it was the first. But we do have, um, of course, we have ways of amending the Constitution. That's been done before. It's not easy. Um, But it's been done and it's done on a one off basis, of course. So, you know, the 13th Amendment to abolish slavery, for example. But we've never actually had a second another constitutional convention, which is also allowed via the Constitution itself by virtue of certain processes getting, you know, an extraordinary majority of state legislatures on board to call for this thing. Or, or by both um, chambers of Congress to call for this thing. It, of course, requires a lot of agreements that we need this constitutional convention, but it has not happened before. And I think that comes from a general fear that if you open up that box, nobody knows what's going to happen. And despite the fact that people on the left and the right both have significant qualms with the way society is, I think everyone has that even larger... Concern that if you open it up, it can always be worse. Um, and they, the left knows what the right wants, and the right knows what the left wants, and they're afraid of what happens if I lose. But because of what 2020 introduced into the world, I started to feel that there may be an opening finally of people not saying how much worse can it get because it was pretty damn bad. I think now that we're in 2023. Things have settled down a little bit. There are certainly big problems, and and I think they will flare up again, maybe even larger than they did last time. So the opportunity could arise again um, in bigger and more pragmatic and uh, urgent ways. Um, but I think it's not out of the question that this thought experiment could become a reality. And to me, rather than trying to trying to address all of the crises, the meta crises that we were facing. I wanted to think ahead of if if society or all, everything collapses around us, I don't want us as a society to just then start thinking, well, how should we rebuild this thing? My idea was, why don't we build an artifact that is already then there and ready to be picked up and someone can say, oh, yeah, if everything's falling apart or everything is really not working anymore. Why don't we latch onto this as the new place we can land um and have that already built as a proposal so that it's it's a softer landing rather than everyone fighting over what it should be as the chaos sort of unfolds
0: seems like there's a like a cynical and a naive view of the situation in american politics that represents something about the general situation of global politics did i say situization? i um, love me making- go for it. Great, Mark. So the cynical view is something like, hey, we've got a human tendency to divide into teams and be irrational. We've got a huge incentive structure to keep government from functioning. And we have a whole bunch of institutional protocols that kind of migrate people into a kind of bipartisan polarized situation. And we're just stuck with that. It would be unreasonable to think that anything's going to come out of that system. The naive approach, which you might find in some corners of the integral and metamodern community, would be like, no, I think we can get something that left and right will be happy with. Maybe we can bring these sides back together. I bring sides together myself all the time. Why can't we just get along? So you're on the other side of this. It's two years in. Is your optimism increased or diminished as to the possibility of doing things that large sections of the left and the right could both support?
1: Great question. I think ultimately my answer is going to be what you would expect, but also to a degree a cop-out, which is it fluctuates. I don't think it's more optimistic. I think day to day, uh, I have a different outlook on it. I think Um, there are days when I, you know, launched, um, our public facing website about, you know, this past July where I was very optimistic, um, because just putting together and looking back at all the work we did over the last two years, it was like, wow, this is some great stuff. And we'll get into some of that stuff shortly. Um, and, uh, you know, just looking at it as a whole thinking, this is really something like we've created something that folks can get behind and the response from the integral community when we released it. But then you start talking to people on the far left and far right, uh, about some of these ideas and you realize, um, how much just true, uh, resistance there is to anything that is not theirs. And what I mean by theirs is coming from within their tribe. And so the, despite not being a left or a right project, Uh, it's actually not a, I mean, I saw that as a strength. We call ourselves a transpartisan project, but because of the tribalization, anything other than us is them. And so by virtue of not belonging to the left or the right, we are the other to both sides. Now, one of the ways that I started to really get optimistic was we started, um, Doing TikTok lives and YouTube lives and TikTok. I mean, everyone knows that's exploding, but not, I didn't realize the degree to which the engagement is there until I started opening up TikTok lives. And what I found is there is, that's when I started to get even more optimism because at first there were people lashing out of like, you're going to come take my guns away. And oh my God, like you're not a patriot. And, you know, all of the usual things that you get. And one of the things that was really valuable in having those conversations and the optimism came from was actually in using not just the substance of what we have come up with in the reconstitution, but some of the values that we developed and identified as the project went on, using those and reminding myself of those in those conversations actually led me to take some of those really extreme people and come around and follow us and be like, oh, actually, I like what you're saying here. Because rather than mirroring their sort of antagonistic or being defensive or um or trying to like you know uh patronize them um it was really a matter of our core values which is curiosity patience respectfulness uh humility is a really big one like reminding people and being embodying those values like wow like great points and not in a again not in a patronizing way of like saying to them what they are thinking, because you can understand, and this is the integral way, right? Of like, I can integrate and understand their perspective, even though to me, it's not the whole perspective, but by being able to um, express their perspective before they're able to, and, and they get this sense that, oh, I'm understood. And then you add their perspective to this broader context and they start to see, oh, There's like a trust that's developed and then they can start to see those other perspectives. And so I had some people who were really nasty at first and eventually became like partners of like, Hey, can you give me feedback on this? Um, And so that's where the optimism came. I'd say after a few months of doing those lives, I personally, on a very personal level, started to actually burn out to an extent because of the number of conversations. That's not an easy thing to do. It's like meditating on conversations. And I only did it with you know, a few dozen people, there's a whole lots of hundreds of millions of other people out there. And that's where the sort of, um, uh, pessimism starts to sink in of like, wow, yes, it's doable, but man, this is a lot of work. And we, do we have the critical mass of people who have that integral way of thinking and that have the energy and the patience and even the, um, drive to join in that mission. And I don't know the answer to that. And so that's where I am actually, I'd say spiritually and psychologically on this right now is sort of in this moment of how do we, how do we do this in a sustainable way? Because there is a lot of resistance out there. And it's, again, there is a way through it. It's just a matter of, do we have the energy and the morale and all of that to actually meet that resistance?
0: In classical integral formulations of politics, there's a kind of left right duality in terms of looking at solutions to internal problems and external causations. And there's this notion of this stack of different developmental emergent value systems and ideas about how the world should be organized. Trying to balance all those without watering them down and becoming homogenous can be tricky. What was your approach to? Uh, Having it be vibrant rather than having it sort of default into a toothless centrism, because a lot of establishment centrism proposes that it's addressing problems from all over the political map, but we just get the same old results. So how do you
1: how do you be integral in politics without just being centrist? Great question. So I think two things one on a philosophical level i like to distinguish and i think the group started to distinguish the difference between when people think of centrism now they think of like i i I think of it as the synonym of like moderate to an extent right your your views are moderate but we also like to think of actually in, in kind of a both and sort of integral perspective the paradox of centrism is there's moderate centrism but then there's also like expansive centrism or what we used to refer to as meta ideological um, which is ultimately saying i can be in the center on average but not necessarily on in the in a not necessarily moderate on every particular issue and so on this issue libertarian ideals may may make more sense and on this issue authoritarian ideals make more sense or liberal and so when you average all that together it becomes the center point, but ultimately your views are actually eclectic, which is different than a moderate centrism where it's like, I'm just going to compromise with everybody. And you end up with this watered down nothing. Um, and so the then in the more concrete perspective of, of that question that you just asked me, the way you approach it, I think, and I think was very effective in our two years of work together was we did not start with like, here are bunch of ideas that are out there and let's see what we agree with and what we don't agree with. Do we agree with pro-life or pro-choice or guns, this, that, or healthcare, Medicare for all? We just wipe the slate clean, forget about all of the noise out there. What can we all agree on regardless of your left or center or right or far left or far right or up or down or anywhere? And what we generally agree on are the fundamental questions of our time, right? And those questions are ultimately, question, are ultimately the frames of problems that we all struggle with on all sides of the spectrum. Um, we all agree immigration is not working. We all agree healthcare is not working. We all agree the economy is not working. We all agree energy is not working, right? All of these things, you get a a far left or far right candidate and anywhere in between, they they go out on a campaign and they're talking about these issues and angrily, this is not working, that's not working. So we agree, things are not working. The differences start to arise when you start talking about the particulars, which is how to do it, which is often based in the values of that person and ultimately the the level of development um, of, of their sort of view on the world and, and where they come from and their, their world view um, informs that how, and that's where everything starts to diverge. And also there's all these tribalism and group think mentalities and dynamics that go into that. And that's where we all get driven apart and nothing gets done. And ultimately that's where the center or your, your phrasing of center, what I call the moderate center says, oh, well, we could all work together. Like if you give me this, I'll give you that. And that doesn't work either. Right. Because ultimately, what you end up with is not a holistic approach. You end up with this fragmented thing that causes new problems because it's not being thought of in a holistic systems way. So our approach by focusing on the questions and getting rid of all the noise was oftentimes as we proceeded through these 10 questions that we identified, oftentimes we would say, Oh, this solution, the idea that we have, which is super creative. We've never heard anyone propose this solution. Um, we'd say, "But that's gonna cause this problem." And then we'd look down our list. Oh, we have a question down here that may actually resolve that problem. So let's pause on that and make sure that we resolve that later. And then we'll come down here and we'll 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 answer a question here and say oh but this has this downstream effect and we're like oh no but it doesn't anymore because we already did this up there so this holistic approach allows for a more creative web of solutions that ultimately becomes more resilient to criticism because every counter argument or poking at a flaw has a response in some previously seemingly unrelated area but actually um actually in the end of the day does create more strength of the the overall proposal. So it's not really just a singular fragmented proposal, all of them work together. And that sort of is the strength of the approach that we took. Could you give us a quick rundown of what those 10 question prompts were? Yes, absolutely. So um, let me pull them back up because they are they are well um thought out as far as the um uh, the, the 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 language of them is very intentional to try to really get to the um crux of these major issues and I, I would say this in particular um was like the bread and butter this is what made the project work was, going into the project, this was a medium article I had written and I really this was that inspiration that came out of that year 2020 where I was like, what is going on and trying to get my own orientation around it? And this was my articulation of that deep angst I was feeling about that moment. So and, and they sort of lead into one another into one another. So the first question was, how do we remove the corrupting influence of entrenched power from the field of politics? And what I ultimately meant by this, was not just in the you know, it's almost like the the problems that people see with capitalism, but apply that to a broader spectrum of like, the more power you have, the easier it is to get more power. And that concentration, whether it's in money, whether it's in politics or influence or otherwise, is sort of this feedback loop that, as we know, with all of these sort of feedback loops become spirals that um, that don't really have a balanced or sustainable end. Um, so how do we find a new equilibrium in a system by removing the corrupting influence of entrenched power uh, within politics? And so we go into campaign finance reform and things like that there. Um, the second question is, why is political representation rarely reflective of the values and preferences of the people that are being represented? And this was just an acknowledgement of the general anger that the population had about Congress. I mean, the approval rating of Congress was like seventeen percent at one point, which in a democracy doesn't make a lot of sense, considering we're the ones that put them there, right? And so, why is that happening? And there's a lot to be said about that as far as the way demographics break down. Like, you know, we had a big state, large large state, small state compromise two hundred plus years ago. Now we are more broken up into rural and urban areas, and also you know, we may like our rep, but we don't like the overall representation of Congress. And how do you get through sort of some of these issues, Um, gerrymandering, all of those sorts of things um, in terms of a representational system of government. Um, Then we move from there into sort of the economic side of things, which is what is the role of the corporation with respect to the rights of human beings in the natural world? And this has been a pretty... Front and center question, especially for a lot of campaigns like Elizabeth Warren's campaign, et cetera. But like, corporations have the same rights as people essentially corporate personhood um what does that mean and and you know there have been great documentaries on this uh, the corporation was a good one that basically reflects on how can you treat corporations like a person when they don't have any conscience they don't you know things like that and it creates this sort of sociopathic powerful entity in society so what is the relationship of a corporation to a human being where do we make those distinctions what are their duties etc um how do they handle internalities externalities governance all of that um the fourth question is very much uh related to our information ecosystem which is becoming more and more uh i would say influential coercive and problematic given the internet and now especially you go all the way down the road to tiktok um what is the purpose of advertising In a society that aspires to be free of coercion and manipulation. We claim to be a free society, freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of thought, which we don't explicitly say because we think that that is a given, but clearly it's not. We have an entire industry, one of the largest industries that crosses across every industry advertising that is intentionally designed to interfere with your freedom of thought or to manipulate your freedom of thought. And what's the point of that? And there is a point to that, but how do we make it serve us rather than us serve it? Um, So that's the fourth question. The fifth one was maybe the very first place that I started even before uh, 2020 happened, a question I was always very interested in, which is how can we create an economy in which economic values reflect our social values? That to me is like a very deep almost like enlightenment level question that it just i mean firstly it has this symmetry in language but ultimately it is fascinating that um the compensation that we give people um and the economics of incentive incentive structures etc don't quite match the social value that we would assign something independent of economic um, sort of uh, supply and demand mechanisms, right? So like, why is an, an emergency room nurse that saves thousands of lives during COVID being paid a tiny fraction of what some day trading gambler on Wall Street is making, right? Or why is someone who's um, a teacher making some small fraction of what someone who's making a face filter at Snapchat is making right like the the there's a very big uh lack of alignment and so ultimately that question gets down to sure the invisible hand works but it's also blind don't we as human beings want to drive our control our own hand of what at least is it serving what's the purpose what are our goals as a society and as as a species um rather than just like letting it end where it will which could be in the death of all of us because we just burned down the planet right um so that's that's the fifth question which I think is very interesting. Um sixth also related to economics is how does monetary theory transform when abundance becomes more prevalent than scarcity? And this is an acknowledgement of industrialization um leading all the way through where we are now which is automation, robotics and artificial intelligence which is getting crazier and crazier putting people out of jobs and the ultimate question is you know people like oh yeah they're going to automate my job away i don't know what i'm going to do why is that a pro like great automate my job away i'd rather not have to work but i need money to live in society but for some reason no matter how much technology we invent no matter how much progress we make as far as automation and and reducing the need for certain jobs we still work like the same number of hours if not more And that seems to be a paradox that's just a function of an economic system that sort of is dependent on the notion of scarcity. So how can we redesign that to work in our favor? Um, Seven, now we get more into justice. Uh, What do liberty, equality, security, and justice really mean to us as a society, especially in relation to one another? So this is where we talk about like equality of opportunity versus equity of outcomes. Uh, what are our rights? Like, we have rights to education, but we don't have a right to healthcare. care. Um, what should our rights be? Does that change over time, um, depending on how technology changes? Like, should we all have a phone now that that's a necessary piece of society to function? So asking big questions like that. Um, eight, also related to sort of justice, which is what circumstances, if any, justify asymmetrical limits on rights? So here we're talking about crime, like what is the place of criminal law? Uh, When can you take people's rights away and lock people up? Like what are the conditions and how do we handle those sorts of situations in a way that we're comfortable with? Um, Nine, how will we preserve the iterative mechanisms of the constitution and the aspirational preamble that it divinely elaborates? In other words, How do we make sure we don't continue to get into this mess? How do we make the constitutional sort of transformation process, the living document idea, uh, more embedded so that we don't actually have to argue about whether it is a living document, but rather agree upon how living it is and what are the processes by which we can adapt it to this hyper sort of speed era? And then lastly, when will we know that we succeeded? So that we can confidently speak from a stance of moral sort certitude to the rest of the world right this is an american project as of right now using american laws but um what what would allow us to feel comfortable saying hey rest of the world like this is working what's our success criteria maybe you want to pick up some of these things just like sort of happened after the revolution in the 1700s of other countries started to adopt constitutions and de- democracy and and the same sort of structures of government that we had so that's sort of the the end result of this and those are the 10 questions that we that we tackle together
0: beautiful so you're using these questions to guide an integral collective intelligence team Uh, operating as a think tank to solve a blank slate rewrite of the Constitution uh, in order to do so in a way that satisfies a hybridization of multiple
1: values. Yes, and caveat, not a rewrite of the Constitution, but a transcendent include of the Constitution, which means, of course, we'll throw some things away, but there are plenty of great things about the Constitution to keep.
0: Yeah, I'd like to come back to that, but first let's... What did you really love about the proposals that emerged? What struck you as really interesting or surprising in terms of solutions that might actually satisfy multiple value systems and the emergent needs of
1: this historical moment? Great, great, great. So um, one is, I think, before turning to, I think we sort of ended up maybe even not explicitly saying this, but the process that, we um, ended up developing for each question, sort of naturally emerged on its own, which was first just sort of a brain dump of like, what is the problem and what is the the topography of this problem and really trying to understand the problem and why the problem hasn't been solved, um, and understanding the divergent approaches to the problem, then sort of a brain dump of like. Here are the crazy ideas I've heard about this. Like I read this author said this and this author said that and nobody's talking about this solution um, and getting that all out in the air. And then talking a bit about the complexity, the complexity of um, all of the downstream effects of the various proposed solutions, the downstream effects of the um, of the problem itself, the upstream causes that lead to the problem and trying to get a handle on that broader context. And then lastly, so and then really coming to to a point where, okay, well, this solution, like I said earlier, seems to be like the right leverage point for this complex system, examining it more closely, seeing what the downstream effects are because there always are, and seeing if those are addressable somewhere else, and as long as they are, saying, okay well we have something for here we'll come back to it later to make sure that those downstream effects are resolved and then how is everyone going to react to this how are the how's the left how's the right how's the center how's the far right how's the far left how are the libertarians etc um and thinking about then not just the conceptual solution but the wording of the solution so that it can be palatable to all of those people or at least You know, and this is one of the problems that we have in politics is a lot of times people agree on all these issues, but they don't like some some word in the solution is triggering to them. And so trying to find a sort of linguistic, neutral, semantic, neutral um, way of uh, articulating these proposals
0: Semantic neutral is good, but also one of the things it seems like the original Constitution was really good at was profound, aspirational sounding language. It had certain poetry, almost a kind of spirituality to it. That's one of my favorite parts about the American Constitution. When you look at it now, and you were mentioning this is a transcendent include move, what really stands out to you as victories, as fabulous about the original American Constitution?
1: Great question. And and let me say on that note of one of the things that I don't think I mentioned in the process, but sometimes we would come up with solutions and we would say, you know what, that is probably the solution to this, but we don't need to be overly prescriptive, right? You don't need to like say the micro, we don't need to micromanage the country. What we can do is plant seeds, general principles, that are more aspirational with the expectation and some degree of confidence that out of that seed will grow the solution that we actually have in mind, but without forcing it upon the people, letting it grow out of court cases that will come up in judicial decisions and um, legislation that might emerge as a result of creating that sort of generalized principle. So being aware that some of the things that we actually believe are solutions or leverage points um, would end up being emergent properties of the the aspirational language we put together and trying to connect that and plan that out in advance, creating the initial conditions um, so that emergent um, solutions could come about that also are holistic and related to each other. Um, And I think you can see that in a lot of places um some i think maybe you know the one that just comes to mind right now is um is uh the uh, i don't want to go here i was going to say the right to privacy which is an implied right and led to was really a judicial ended up being a judicial interpretation of the constitution that this is an implied right, the right to privacy and led to decisions like Roe v. Wade, which of course now, you know, we go through the the ups and downs and, or left and right, whatever you want to call it, of history. Um, But having these, I, I think that's an example of, I don't think we want to be overly prescriptive in the constitution about micro issues. And I'm not saying it's a small issue, but I am saying it's a wedge issue and it's a wedge issue for a reason. We're not talking about a value. We are talking about Defining the circumstances in which someone can do something. It's very prescriptive. Um, And I don't think the founders were planning on talking about abortion in the Constitution, nor do I think we should now. Um, But maybe being more specific about, like, well, why? Right. And then the what and how emerge out of that. So why? Because we value choice or we value life. And these are the trade offs and and things like that. Um, That's how we try to position the language so that then. People can have conversations, healthy, constructive conversations within that framing of it, which is already an agreed upon value, which we may not all be as far apart as we think on some of these wedge issues. It's just the problem is that we get so concerned about the language of choice versus life, but we may all be somewhere in between to an extent and and have similar goals for these things um, and aware of the trade-offs but we need some framing to say, this is what we all think. And now can we decide on the particulars?
0: The original constitution is a fantastic historical document. It's uh, very successful, but it has limitations. How much of those limitations do you think are things that they assumed, things that were implied like the right to privacy, but not made explicit And how much of the limitation is simply the fact that it was the 1700s and they had not encountered mass
1: surveillance and assault weapons? Great question. So I think two things. One, I think it's both, obviously. Um, I think on the one hand, Alexander Hamilton was quite explicit in some of his writings, uh, the Federalist Papers, that you you can't expect a perfect document or a perfect artifact from imperfect human beings. He was a big advocate. I mean, the point of the Federalist Papers was to get people to buy into adopting the thing, but essentially, you know, and it's funny, this is something I tell people I work with all the time as, um, as a product manager, but, but that he acknowledged that perfect is the enemy of the good and they had to adopt something because if they didn't, they would just fall back into sort of the tyranny of, you know, Britain and and all of that. So So why don't we just adopt something and acknowledge that we will iterate on it, right? Like that was the Hamilton approach. Um, So that's one piece, which you alluded to. The other piece is that, of course, acknowledging that the world is going to change over the next 10, 20, 100, 500 years, right? And that's where Thomas Jefferson was quite explicit. And I love this quote, because it really is the ultimate um, reconstitution sort of foundational quote, which is, Laws and institutions must go hand in hand with the progress of the human mind. As that becomes more developed, more enlightened, as new discoveries are made, new truths discovered, and manners and opinions change, with the change of circumstances, institutions must advance to keep pace with the times. And this analogy is great because I'll say why in a second, but he says, we might as well require a man to wear still the coat which fitted him when a boy, as civil society to remain ever under the regimen of their barbarous ancestors. And just looking at 2020 and the discussion, should the Jefferson Memorial be taken down? I mean, ultimately what Jefferson is doing, and I'm not condoning or condemning Jefferson, like let's just put this out there. I think he was flawed in a lot of ways, but he's also a product of his time and he's a genius and you can be all these things at once. But I do think in this transcendent way, He's quite brilliant in saying, maybe not explicitly, but that in the eyes of my descendants, I will be a barbarian. And so I need to entrust the future of the structure of this country, the constitution with the next generations. This cannot be something that is etched in stone, never changeable. Um, And that was sort of ultimately right. Like that is the Enlightenment way of thinking of getting away from the traditionalist—you know, just live by the laws of your ancestors forever and ever and ever—and so he was acknowledging that, and that ultimately he is relative to the to the future, and that they may look back on him, and we do as having very barbarous qualities as a slave owner, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And so I think that's just like a wonderful example of. Of that, of the acknowledgement that it will need to change over time, and then similarly, as said earlier, Hamilton was similarly thinking about, well, perfect is the enemy the good. So I think it was a bit of both that allowed the document to actually be released in its really good but really imperfect way, and that and that stated right at the at the get go, right, in order to form a more perfect union. It's not saying we're perfect, and it's not saying that perfect even exists. We are constantly going towards that never that ever receding horizon of perfection and that's the goal
0: so now that you have this document the
1: reconstitution and
0: the thought set that goes along with it one of the things it could do is be useful within the dialogue around an actual constitutional assembly But it could do other useful things it could uh incept a movement of people to undertake similar projects to clarify their understanding about the constitution and the political protocols of society it could be something that might be used in schools there's a number of different things what else could this document be good for
1: i think that's where we are now um the main way i and and similarly to the actual i mentioned earlier about the substance of the document intending to be a seed that has emergence properties etc um i am sort of have been in a in a posture of sort of surrendering to what those emergence qualities are of the document just knowing that listen like integral theory itself the the awakening of collective consciousness is a process and i'm just a small piece of that and just trying to contribute what flows out of me and seeing how that influences the larger um, emergence of an integral structure. But I think more concretely, um, when I started to release this and started those TikTok conversations, et cetera, which like I said, was quite exhausting. The thing that I was most excited about was as I began to position it less about this is a platform. We need to get politicians on this. We need to adopt these policies and positions it more as this is the, these are the starting, these are sentence starters. These are the, these are conversation starters, right? This is kicking off a national conversation about issues that, like I said earlier, impact all of us that we all agree are issues But the hardest thing about these issues, and we encountered this with the project itself, is finding a good place to start. And part of, I think, what the document does really effectively is it starts in a place that is so all so eclectic. It's not clear. I've had I had people reaching out to me, my family, of like, did you start like like a, a Republican? uh like project because there's American flags all over this site and it's about the constitution and that sounds so conservative and then i had you know people on the right on tiktok oh my god another leftist and i'm like perfect everyone thinks i'm something else and that was the point of this project is to just shake people up a little not triggering too much where they totally turn off but like not knowing where it is because it's not supposed to live in one of these tribes the idea is for it to get conversation going. And so when I framed it as that of, listen, I'm not wedded to any of these ideas either. This was a thought experiment and this is the best we came up with, but hey, I'm open to feedback. And that was part of the humility value that I mentioned earlier. As long as I keep saying, be curious, be humble, let's talk about it. And then we can find the flaws in it and find places of agreement and find the places of disagreement. So I see it as a a tool to have conversations and explore the terrain of the problem space, the solution space, the intersubjective space, the the dissonance between our opinions, um, et cetera. And then, you know, maybe out of those conversations, similarly to a lot of things, whether it was Medicare for all or the Green New Deal or ranked choice voting, some of those ideas that by natural selection become winners that start to permeate the national discourse and nobody remembers where it came from maybe nobody remembers hey that started the reconstitution but it just starts to permeate and become something that manifests in reality And so that's how I see the document itself potentially being uh valuable and the future of it um, for society. but I also think that the a the values I was talking about curiosity humility, patience respectfulness creativity, um, cetera, would be really great. And again, this was the part that I found very exhausting because it takes a lot of holding space to do. But if you, if we can get people to think like that, we will have so much less, we will have differences of opinion, but at least it will be met as, oh, it's valuable to have differences of opinion rather than, wow, deport them to Antarctica because they don't agree with me. Um, and that's the type of culture. So there's like the let's get these policies, let's get the conversation started to get these policies concretized and sort of into the hands of potentially people who can implement them. Then there's the cultural shift that comes out of the values and really trying to get people to embody them and understand that those values can exist. We don't have to live the way we do right now that we've normalized the outrage and the the antagonism. And then I think the last thing is the questions. Those 10 questions were very effective to make all of this happen. And I think there's an opportunity that we started to explore, but need to dig back into of whether we can turn what we did over the last two years, the explorations of these questions into some sort of a education piece, whether it's in middle school or high school or college Um, Similar to sort of, um, if anyone's seen the movie Boys State, there have been like, or Model UN, that sort of a thing, where you bring together a bunch of students in the uh, simulation of, hey, you're at a constitutional convention, here's how it's going to work. You're going to need to ident- you know, come up with solutions for these 10 questions and present them and negotiate them and talk out the flaws with them. So that might be another exercise that could be really valuable as far as engendering the next generation to think more collaboratively, to think more creatively, and to think in this meta-ideolo- meta-ideological way um, so that, sure, we may not be 5, 10 years away from this large cultural shift, but maybe in 20 years we will be. So there's a bunch of ways I see forward for it.
0: If this sounds exciting to somebody, how do they get involved? How do they read the document? How do they become part of the discussion? How do they take a next step on this?
1: TheReconstitution.com. All of the information is there. The document is there. Summaries of the proposals are there. You can reach out to us via um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and we, we can respond from there. Um, you can reach out to me directly, honestly. Um, I haven't been, I've been, like I said, overwhelmed and exhausted and definitely got my share of emails, but uh, I am, it is still at a manageable level. So um, Ari at the reconstitution.com, happy to read um, any thoughts you have or find ways for you to get involved. I can certainly use the help. And yeah, I would say that's the way to move to next steps. I will say from a go-to market of ideas place, um, we definitely hit the ground running in July. Like I said, ran a bunch of live streams. Um, I sort of took a break, like I said, uh, after a bit of burnout, but also as to reevaluate like, okay, this has been successful, what has been successful about the rollout, what is not, and trying to recalibrate to, to be more effective in going in those three directions that I just outlined.
0: What's your feeling about other possibilities for integral level interventions in American politics? Uh, Is there a role for integral politician? Could policies of the kind of the reconstitution succeed? What are the options there, you feel?
1: I think, you know, this is one of the silver linings of what we see, what we've seen over the last several years and ultimately over the last seven-ish years, but even more increasingly year over year. I mean... Culminating now, we got George Santos out there, right? Of And what I'm alluding to is the circus of it all. I mean, there was always a circus in DC, but the circus has just become, I mean, is DC more of a circus than reality TV? A hundred percent. It's like reality TV on steroids. Um, and sometimes it's really scary and disheartening, but I think it's also an opportunity because characters like yourself, layman um or maybe an american version of yourself or myself or you know all the the interesting eclectic unconventional characters in our integral community suddenly have an opportunity to to rise as leaders because the media ecosystem is such that attention is paid to the unconventional and thus far in my opinion the far right has been very 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 good at recognizing that probably because they're following in the steps of donald trump who was the very first to really break through that i have not seen the same level of effectiveness on the left but ultimately people need to start taking advantage of that for good rather than just for you know ego or um or for ideological agendas and so I myself have explored um, I live in Orange County, California, and my representative is Katie Porter, but she is stepping into running for Senate for California, which leaves that seat open. I've thought about, should I just take this and run with it there? I don't know yet. It's quite a,, uh, it's quite a uh, large thing to think about for lack of better words. And I wouldn't really know where to start, but if someone has ideas or wants to help me do so, I'm happy to think about it and collaborate and partner on, on what that looks like. Um, But I think, I think there's an opportunity for plenty of people who um, are in the integral community to really step up, whether it's at local level or state level or federal level to just steal the media attention. I mean, we've all got the device in our hands. You can say one effing crazy thing. And the next thing you know you're on cnn a week later um i don't know what that crazy thing is if you want to help me identify it i'm happy to do it but uh i think that's where the, the place is like don't be if we've learned from these last several years that there's really no such thing as bad press so speak your mind be crazy you know the crazy ones the steve jobs thing we're the ones who change the world and there's finally an opportunity to do that um, and for it to not be taken so seriously Um, in D.C. because you have people like John Fetterman walking in there with jeans and Lauren Boebert walking in there with guns. Um, So anyone can walk in there. And so why don't we make them some integral people?
0: What do you think My slow
1: slide into darkness? It just feels symbolic. I can't quite articulate why, but I think the viewers probably can feel it as well. It's both ominous, but also there's the mystery of maybe it's not so ominous. Maybe you know, the man behind the curtain, which now you're, now you're just laughing. And so it's got this whole like Willy Wonka effect, but um, maybe, maybe there's something magical, uh, magical happening out there.
0: Well, this has been fantastic. Thanks for sharing this stuff with us, Ari. It's a, it's an issue where there's endless urgency and a whole bunch of interesting historical opportunity at this moment. And I think the, combination of complexity and
1: knowledge and earnestness and energy that you bring to it is very inspiring thank you so much layman and i owe you a lot because in the very beginning i said to you should i who am i and you said that's exactly why you should do it so anyone who's got an idea if you have self-doubt even more of a reason to do it because if there's one thing we are not lacking it's overconfidence in politics and the egos there. So if you have self-doubt, you're probably a good person to start thinking about some fresh ideas and, and get into a leadership position. So thank you for that, layman. those words of encouragement.